640 Toronto presents Think Tank. The breaking stories you care about. Facts and opinions that get you through the day. Now, let's meet the guests. Let's do just that. 7.37 on Toronto today on this uh, Tuesday morning. Uh, here's Chloe Brown, former mayoral candidate and uh, policy planner. Good morning. It's great to have you as always. Good morning. How are you? Really good, actually. And Steve Pakin is with us, author and broadcaster. I'm going to rewrite that bio. Are you are you just plugging out books like you're Stephen King or something? Or, uh, like author is author is forever, I guess, is, is the concept, right? I don't know, Greggy. What do you think? <laughs> That's Gregory uh, to you and, and to my mom when she's very angry with me, which, as you I can can't imagine, you happened quite frequently. Fergus was my grandfather's name, and he was half Irish, half English. Um, and he was born in, like again, like 1909, so maybe that was a more prominent name. But you can imagine when uh, Sarah Ferguson came around and, um, you know, the ill-fated Prince Andrew marriage happened, um, you know, and, and he went on to, well, other things. Um, Fergie was was very prominent in the mid '80s, Steve. And then they made those Brady uh, bunch movies again with Gary Cole and Shelley Long. And I'm like, I can't win for losing. This is a disaster. Uh, but you wear it well. You wear it Thank so you. well. It's fine. Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, serious business, really, out of the gate. But I but I also will play you a clip of uh, of you uh, having a guest on the agenda because I was watching you have uh, Marcy Siegel on, who was a defense attorney, and you were talking about her during the uh, Gameshi trial. And I'll get to that in a second but first we start with the london police chief yesterday in a news conference we aired on 640 toronto um and we've been waiting for this for a while um there are finally charges five of them uh to five adult males for a sex assault uh, investigation here is the chief tai truong apologizing about the length of the investigation i want to extend on behalf of the london police service my sincerest apology to the victim, to her family, for the amount of time that it has taken to reach this point. And I can understand that. And by the way, it should be noted, um, police also made reference to the incredible amount of courage for any survivor of sexual assault to report to the police, be a participant in the criminal justice system, a system that is far from perfect. Uh, and that's certainly true in this case. Uh, Chloe, let me start with you. How much attention are we? This is kind of it ends the information and maybe the speculation for quite a while because uh, they there won't be another court appearance again for 11 weeks. They really need to load up the defense and the prosecution uh, with information and all this data and information from six years of, uh, of investigation. But do you feel this will be a rather paid attention to sensational trial? Absolutely. There's been a lot of trouble at our courts for just cases getting thrown out. And I recently read an article in The Star where a woman had testified in her own sexual assault and the case was thrown out due to the length it took to get to trial. So I think that this will be a really pivotal moment of assessing how effective our courts are at getting justice, not just processing paperwork. So I could mm -hmm. I commend the London police chief for acknowledging the administrative error, which is something that I as a public administrator am beholden to as well. But yeah, our court systems definitely need more funding if we want to get justice for our residents and citizens. And 
I want to throw it to Doug Ford, but this mm-hmm. is an opportunity to get the courts the funding they need. Yeah, it really is. The the delays seem, Steve, when I heard even uh, a couple of days ago that the idea that this case won't even be before a jury until sometime in 2026, I'm thinking there's no possible excuse for having everyone's on life hold, not just the accuser, but the accused as well to let them sit and stew for 20, 21 months. We have to have a better system than that. Well, uh, let me make a comment on both of the cases. Yeah. The one that the, the one that Chloe just mentioned, I think what was particularly egregious about this case being thrown out was that a jury found the defendant guilty. So a defendant finds him guilty and the judge still threw the case out because they say it took too long to come. Um, I mean, that's awful. Uh, as for this case in London, I think one of the things that I appreciated about the chief of police's comments was that there always seemed to be I think the legal advice in the past, Greg, was always, you know, whatever you do, don't apologize. You yeah. know, say whatever you can, snuggle up to the line, but don't apologize because they will use that against us at trial and that will make things worse. I, I appreciate the fact now that we seem to have a change of opinion, maybe even a change of law on that, where an apology can be proffered and it doesn't necessarily constitute an admission of guilt. It's just the human thing to do. So I appreciated that from the chief of police in London. Now, Steve, I'll hold it with you here because the chief of police did yesterday. He also neglected to use the word alleged. And I worried about that for somebody that wants a fair verdict here um, and somebody that wants this this to go properly. He just simply referred to the victim and didn't use the word alleged. They close London police obviously closed this case rather quickly and reopened it several years later. The chief made the point. I wasn't the police chief then and he didn't throw his prior colleagues under the bus. But knowing the little I know, not having gone to law school, but but having some sense of it. There's a bit of a danger there in not using the term alleged. We have to, in the media, refer to the alleged victim. He decided not to yesterday. I want to know what you thought of that. Yeah, and and you're right to bring that to our attention right now. And the fact of the matter is we live in a Westminster-style democracy where rule of law is supreme. And we have to remember that as egregious as these allegations are against these hockey players, They are presumed innocent until proven guilty in a court of law. So it is important that we use that word alleged. And thank you for bringing that. uh, Thank you for bringing that up. That was worth doing. Chloe, what was your thought about that? That perspective here again, um, these five players are are certainly due um, uh, being innocent until proven guilty. They're going to obviously lose their livelihoods. They're going to lose a lot. But um, the the wording yesterday or the specific word alleged being left out isn't something you see a law officer do very often. Yes, but I would like to say that there is no guarantee that they will lose their livelihoods. Uh, In this era of Me Too, we've seen that there have been trials that have come up, but there are still people walking among us that still have jobs. Mm -hmm. So yes, they should have said alleged, but this case hasn't seen its completion yet. So I can't even say that their lives will be ruined. I just know that someone has been prosecuted. There was an administrative error that the police had to cop to. And I'm just here to see it play out in its fullness. Yeah, me too. Uh, I think all three of us are. Now, Steve, I want to play you a clip and have you both respond to it, and then we'll move it along. This is Marcy Siegel. She's a defense attorney, and she was on with you just prior to the Gomeshi trial taking place. Here's what she said on your program, The Agenda. 
If you believe the accused, you must acquit. If you don't believe the accused but are left in a reasonable doubt, you must acquit. If you totally disbelieve the evidence, you still have to look at the complainant's evidence or all the evidence as a whole to determine guilt. So if he's not testifying, then you're left with basically one tier of the three-prong test, which is, can you believe uh, the complainant? So you're better off, your case is only as good as before your client testifies. And that was what was interesting, Chloe. And, and I'm, I'm coming at this very cautiously and carefully here because I remember thinking what I thought about the Gameshi case. I remember thinking that I actually wasn't terribly surprised that these charges were filed. And that's just maybe me having an ear to the ground or knowing people who know people. But I, I remember thinking at the time, this might be an incredibly tough conviction to get. And it was. And they never put Gameshi on the stand. So I do think just from a, a layman's perspective, it's going to be interesting to see if these young men go on the stand and defend themselves or not. I don't have a clue, but these are tough convictions to get, and especially for all five. Yes, and I would like to point out that right now we have a Toronto council member that has similar charges and they're still going about their day. Yeah. So as <laughs> as someone who like looks at these cases, it's one of those things where, yes, victim um, char like allege has not been used, but the court of public opinion and the law still have to play out. And we've seen some very interesting verdicts happen, especially in the Gameshi case. So, yeah, it's <laughs> it's one of those difficult things where I'm just sitting on the edge of my seat, hoping that justice is met. But I know as someone who is a member of the public that that's not always the case and i'll, I'll point out that counselor is michael williams that absolves every other counselor uh but yes where we are waiting and steve i saw him at a, the announcement last week with olivia chow presenting the budget and i see michael williams there and i'm thinking okay this is the rules he's allowed to be there and he's allowed to do his job but this this case getting to trial is also taking forever well i'm reminded of the fact that the gomeshi case reminds us that uh, there are two different standards here. There's a standard in a court mm -hmm. of law where you're either guilty or not guilty of the charges. Uh, and then there's the standard of public opinion where you can be guilty or not guilty of just being a real yes. bad person. Yes. And there's no question. I mean, these five hockey players are going to face that same thing. I, I, I think the court of public opinion has probably made up its mind about what kind of people they are. Now, whether they are guilty of crimes under the criminal code, that we mm -hmm. have to await. And that's why you use the word alleged. All right, let's slide this along to uh, the announcement yesterday of fair integration. Um, and Chloe, let me start with, with you here because you laid out uh, transit policy. You talked about how significant, how important the TTC was during your mayoral uh, by-election campaign in the spring. Um, do you find any flaw with this one? The one fair program will integrate fair systems, basically charge riders for just one transit trip. Will this be encouraging to people getting on buses and streetcars and go trains and subways? In the world of policy, there are announcements and then there's actual execution of ideas. And as someone who uses the Presto machines, the execution of this idea is still leaving me wanting. Um, mm -hmm. Sometimes Presto double charges me at the like the fare kiosk. It double charges me when I'm on the streetcar. So it's like, yes, you say that there's one fare, but how are you going to make sure that this is actually happening? So, yeah, I'm really excited for the people of Scarborough who will need this as heavy construction happens in that area and around other transit projects. But 
you know, the Ford government, it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, they say it, but to see it, I'll have to be looking at my Presto bill every month to make sure that I'm not being extra, like double charged. Hey, how often do you spot that? Uh, it happens quite often. I understand wow. that the IT is not the strongest at Metrolinx. So um, <laughs> it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, execution of this project will be interesting because there are a lot of benefits for so many. But if you don't keep an eye on your like presto statements, you might be getting double charged regardless. Steve wasn't lost on me. Also, uh, we uh, found uh, it, it was Groundhog Day. So it, that that Groundhog's head popped up a few days ago. But we saw Phil Verster's head pop out yesterday, the CEO <laughs> of Metrolinx. And he documented they're still struggling. And as uh, famously quoted uh, last fall, he won't announce an opening day for the Eglinton LRT until three months before uh, they think it's ready to go. So with one Excellent, you know, potentially transit announcement for the city. Uh, there's one where you're like, oh, my goodness, they can't get their stuff together. And I could use a word other than stuff. How do you view yesterday? <laughs> well, let me put it this way. Uh, Chloe is, is absolutely right to point out that execution is key here. This is a good news announcement. Look, at if, if people could save $1,600 a year by not being double or triple charged, if they're, for example, having to take my way in Mississauga, transfer to a GO train, and then transfer to the TDC to get to work in in downtown Toronto, that's a good thing. Who wouldn't want to save 1600 bucks a year? But execution is key. There's no doubt about it. And I couldn't help but notice at yesterday's news conference, when Premier Ford was asked by a reporter, how exactly is this going to work? He could not answer the question. And he passed the question, as he often does at news conferences, to one of his cabinet ministers. And then the cabinet minister in question, the associate minister of transportation, got up to the microphone and I'm still trying to figure out that answer. I don't, I don't think that answer was clear at all. So, you know, our, our, I, we love the idea. Love the idea. Can they actually pull this off, particularly in light of the, the, the difficulties Chloe's just brought to our attention? That has yet to be seen. They've got a month to do it, right? This is supposed mm -hmm. to kick in in the last week of this month. So we'll see. Um, let's move to the royal family, and there's something still about them. You know, Queen Elizabeth passed away, Steve, 18 months ago, and I'm looking at every news website I went to last night. This was the biggest story, so it's there for clicks. But King Charles III has cancer. Buckingham Palace confirms he's 75 years old, went in for a treatment for a benign prostate enlargement. Um, they uh, It looked like everything was fine for about a week or so, but they found a separate issue of concern. We've got Harry flying from L.A. to be with his uh, dad. They've, there's been some estrangement there. Clearly, um, you know, the interest in the royals didn't pass away with just Queen Elizabeth passing away, did it? I'm not sure which one of us that's for, but oh, I'll sorry, Steve. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, I was referencing you there. Yep. Okay, forgive me. No. Um, let's put it this way: I, I, I want to show a great deal of respect to the king for being as open as he has been about his personal health travails. This is this is a good thing. This is a good thing that will hopefully encourage men to get the kind of um, investigation into their personal health circumstances that might save lives. So by by demonstrating, by, by being an example to others like that, uh, I'm grateful to the King for doing that. Having said that, by not specifically describing what kind of cancer he has, I, I, I don't know that that's a great thing. I, I kind of mm. wish he had been more specific about that because w w when you don't put information out there, you, of course, invite all sorts of speculation to jump into that vacuum. And, you know, there's there, how many different kinds of cancers could he have? 
you'd think it was prostate, given that's what he went in for. But then why wouldn't they specify that? I just uh, he's done a good thing here. Mm-hmm. He's done a really good thing in terms of transparency and, you know, a new way of doing business. I, I just wish he had sort of put the period at the end of the sentence so we could all have a better understanding of what's really going on here. Yeah, Chloe, it's really tricky, isn't it? Because so many people handle it different ways. I'm sure we've all lost people that we've loved to to cancer. And some of us, some people have told me about their journey as it begins. And some people tell me in the very late stages. And I, I wish they told me earlier, but, um, you know, to each their own, I suppose. It's a frustrating thing to be a woman that cares for men that hold those secrets. Because Mm -hmm. you want to be available. You want to make sure that you're speaking to them in a honest and respectful way. But if you hide the fact that you're dying, how can people trust you and support you? You know what I mean? And like Stephen was saying, there is a definite need for transparency in how men disclose their illnesses and how we rally around them. So, I'm just looking at Charles as a man. I think it's great that his sons will be there, especially Harry, who has a history of advocating for health care and mm-hmm. just better living. And I think that this could be a moment for the monarchy to kind of just come down a peg and like look at public health care and the need to have that conversation on a public level. I'm glad you brought that up because uh, for as much as we sometimes rant and rave about what we've got in Ontario and it's it's no good and is it really worth preserving what we actually have when it's so frustrating for everybody? To your point, Chloe, they're they're having the same battles with the NHS in the UK right now on a on a much smaller island, so it's much less geographical land and a ton more people to try and take care of and give socialized health care to, and it's it's struggling like our system is. Yep. And this is where I I would like to tell the men on your radio show, like tell other men to get their health checked and talk about it with their families because I'm a daughter and I'm constantly pushing my father to disclose what's going on with him at 68 because yeah, he's healthy now, but I don't know when that moment can happen and I want to be available. Yeah, I hear that uh, absolutely loud and clear. I want to move this uh, to um, I, I try and, and and Steve, you recognize this. I try to not engage in media on media crime. I try. I do my very best. <laughs> I get the right requisite amount of sleep and I take my vitamins. But I was boiling yesterday watching the opposition leader, Pierre Polyev, who's had his moments with the media. Well, remember the viral apple munching video. But I don't know how else he's supposed to react when he gets fed a question from an Omni reporter. I want you to hear the question and I want you to hear the response. Uh, an internal email obtained by the Globe and Mail shows your party has advised MPs not to comment publicly on Alberta's new transgender health and education policies. Uh, why are you telling MPs not to comment on this and can you please tell us your opinion on your party's position on increasing restrictions on transgender youth? Okay, well your question it contains falsehoods you should uh, to tell me what restrictions you're referring to. That's the question they gave me. That's the question they gave you. Who gave you that question? That's from my from my office, from my desk. Which desk is that? It's from Omni News. Okay. Oh my heaven, Steve! Like there has to just say anything, say gender pronouns, say surgery. It's just say anything, but you can't just double it back. And it's not uncommon. Send a reporter out and go, "Hey, make sure you ask this. Make sure you ask that." It happens on this show. So I mean, you, you're you're given an open goal here to Pierre Polyev to make them uh, make a member of the media look like they don't know what they're doing. Isn't that true? 
Well, okay, here's the thing. This is the uh, dirty little secret of media is that not every single reporter who's working on a story is able to either get to a press conference or get into the queue because politicians often say, all right, we'll take questions for 15 minutes, 20 minutes, half hour, whatever. Yeah. Uh, And, and, you know, one question, one supplementary. And uh, when you put those kind of restrictions in place, not everybody's going to get a chance to ask their question. So oftentimes you would give your question to somebody else and say, could you please ask this on my behalf? Now, when you do that, of course, the person who is asking the question may, as was the case with the Apple guy, and as was apparently the case (laughs) with this fella here, they they may not have a clue about the nuances of the question or the the background, you know, underpinning it and so on. And then they get, you know, essentially caught with their pants down when when a savvy politician like Polyev goes back at them and says, well, what do you mean? Well, give me an example. Well, I don't understand what you're saying. Can you under can you explain it to me a little better? And of course, they can't. So. Look, at, I, I, I understand why Mr. Polyev doesn't want his MPs uh, talking about this issue. He's trying desperately not to be seen as, quote unquote, the crazy party that is intolerant to uh, minorities in the country. And, and so, you know, he wants the focus somewhere else. But, uh, you know, we've we got to be a little smarter about how we ask questions. We've got to be a little more on our game or, yeah. you know, th- this is just a lob ball to him because he's very good at that. He's good at batting him away. Chloe, what's, what's your thought on it? Uh, i got a minute and a half for you. Go where you want to on this one. Uh, I'm, I'm really hoping that they ask a better quality of policy questions to Jeff Polyev. <laughs> I'm... I'm just kind of tired of this snarky relationship. It's like watching the Breakfast Club interact, <laughs> to be honest. And is he Judd Nelson? Is he the is he the uh, is he John yeah. Bender the bully? Yeah. Yeah, it's just like I really want more for everyone involved because it's mm. like overall Breakfast Club has a great message. It's just if you focus on those two characters, you'll get lost. So yeah. Yeah, I'm just hoping that the media will ask better, like, economic policy questions, more program questions, because EI, like, old age security, these are big programs that deserve attention. And honestly, it would really show if Pierre is actually paying attention, because honestly, he can rattle off all these metaphors about poverty. But talk to me about what you're going to do for employment insurance. What are you going to do for old age security? There are some really big things that deserve to be discussed at the federal level. And that like focusing on these petty fights is not helping anyone. Yeah, I hear that loud and clear. Hey, I got to I got to move it to the eight o'clock news. Loved having you both on this morning. It's always a great conversation. Thanks for the time. Thanks, Greg. Thanks, Chloe. Awesome. Chloe Brown, Steve Pakin.